The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback Cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Welcome back to Redneck Tech Podcast, episode number 100. And we are live on Instagram and we are live on YouTube simultaneously. And uh, simulcasting, simulcasting, it is a high, high tech room. <laughs> and we have from my right, Ryer Porter, aka Red Velvet. And in the middle, Clay has been on the podcast before, but Clay just got here. This is technically his first day in the office to be here indefinitely to um, help us shoot and edit. We've got a lot of work to do, and so it is a three-man wolf pack now. It is no longer it used a two- to be a one-man wolf pack. <laughs> it used to be a one-man wolf, wolf pack. Now it's a two-man wolf pack. Two-man wolf pack. Now we're three-man wolf packing. So we have got uh, – we're excited to have Clay here. I hope he's excited. And I'll, that's the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to – I talked to you a little bit about this morning when we went hiking. Because you called me and wanted to go hiking. And I was like, sure, I don't want to go hiking in the morning. I didn't get but the invite. Y'all he, didn't think to invite me to go hiking? Well, you don't y'all get here both, till, Y'all both were like, hey, let's go hiking with it. Well, that's because I don't have anything to do in the morning. <laughs> if you would have called me and said, hey, want to go hiking, okay. I would have been hiking. You, y'all see this? Y'all see this? Immediately cut out. Me. <laughs> cut out. You were going to wear that. Yeah, which would scare <laughs> all of the bears away. All the bears. Well, I wasn't too keen on it because I don't like going in the mornings, but. We went and I sweated and. Well, thank thank y'all for the call. I appreciate that. You'll you'll get the call next time. I promise. Um, I see how it is, Clay. I but see how it is. Anyway, <laughs> so now that uh, Ryer's pissed off at everybody, yeah, I'm just got my feelings hurt a little bit. It's fine. <laughs> I'm used to it as a ginger. It's whatever. People don't really want me around anyhow. I'm used to being the redheaded stepchild. It's just now at work now too. I guess it's fine. Oh gosh, but anyway, so um, Clay's here to do a bunch of. Virtually the same thing that Ryer and I do. Um, but I wanted Ryer to kind of, I guess, explain to him what he's got to look Me? at. Yeah. Well, you came in. You got thrown in the fire. Oh, man. He actually has more time to get a little bit feet under him before he's you seen did. You more, he's seen you more hours than I did before. Exactly. He did. Yeah. So um, I kind of explained to him that it's going to be a lot and it's going to be a grind, but I think you can explain that more than I can just because I came into this knowing what it was. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't, and I don't even know if he does um, to the point to where I think your fault actually might be more lax than it was last year. Careful saying things like that. I know. Every, I speak things to this. <laughs> I told him that this morning. I talked, I've railed against freaking waterfowl filming. We did blue stem. I've railed against doing television shows. We're about to start doing a second television show. <laughs> I just need to he shut need up. To quit talking it turns about out things. I don't need a podcast because he the more just, I run my mouth. Wait, wait. What if you said something about man? I hope that we don't. We make get more millions elk. and millions <laughs> yeah. of dollars this year. We need that, or we need <laughs> like those man. Those elk hunts they really suck. We don't want to do those anymore. I'd hate to be running a Panasonic um, Vericam LT. Yeah. Oof. No, sir. I'd hate that. 
Yeah, so I don't know. I just wanted I, I wanted it to come from the horse's mouth because So now we, I'm a horse. Oh God. <laughs> I see how it is. Fellas. We just need might need to end this one before it gets started. It might be a two man wolf pack again here. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but uh no, I mean it, essentially you got thrown into the fire and uh I told you I tried to pre warn you. Look, this is gonna be way different than what you're used to. It's mm-hmm. gonna be way faster, way more, which you're also somebody that also told me like you enjoy, you know, I don't you don't mind the grind type thing. Like it's gonna be a you hashtag know, don't mind the grind. And then you called me at the end of September and you're like, You weren't freaking lying. Because <laughs> September is rough. Yeah. Always is. Um, August is gonna be eh, so so which you leave on Saturday? Friday, Saturday? Uh the twenty fifth, so Friday. Yeah, whatever it is. And then I leave on Thursday. You come back Sunday or Monday? I'm only there for till the 29th or the 20th. What I'd day have is to look. What day is that? I got it right here. I'd have to look. Yes, it's me. Stupid computer. Yes, it's me. 28th. So I come back Tuesday. Oh, okay. And this and, I'll be and back the Monday. 25th is Saturday. So I leave Saturday. We're going to hunt that night. Hunt morning, evening, morning, evening. And I don't know what the 28th, I guess it depends on how yeah, the Yeah, you probably goes. won't be doing anything in the middle of the day because it's going to be so hot. It's yeah, going to be you said freaking, it's hot down there. Oh, my God. Where's that? Is that the one place? Is that the hottest That's place not on f- Earth? That's not as far south. You won't be near as far south, but further south than that, it's the most miserable place on Earth. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, and I'll be in TAC. I'll leave for TAC uh, Thursday evening. So, Clay will get to do his first couple days alone. Which literally, you got here. What was it like a Monday, and I left on Tuesday or something like that. Yeah. So, but no, I just I, I I like to, I'm I'm one of those people that likes to be really mentally prepared for what I'm about to get into, and uh, I mean I tried to mentally prepare you, and I've kind of tried to talk to Clay a little bit, but it's a lot. It's going to be a lot of travel, a lot of time away, um, but I mean I look back on some of my best trips and my best falls, and they've been. The busiest. You know, like I had some really cool trips. I had the best elk I've ever been on last year. You're going to get to go on that trip. I think you might get to go on one of them. I don't know yet. Um, To the Deseret. And uh, even though you're gone, you're tired, and you want to sleep, it's, I mean, beats the heck out of anything else. Right now, I mean, we're so tired of editing. We, we're ready to get out of here and then throwing him in the editing fire. Mm-hmm. So you get to do... Some Chuck editing and then some Red Arrow editing and get to go from there. Hope you're excited about it because it's yeah, going to be I busy. I don't mind not having downtime. Downtime kind of bothers me. Like mm-hmm. it messes with my head. Well, good. And that's a good thing. Well, and also like <laughs> you could, we could so, be It sounds like you're perfect. <laughs> when can be, you start? We could be traveling for worst reasons. Like we could be tra- doing all this traveling and sitting in meetings all day. Oh, God. Yeah. So, um, Screw that noise. There, there's worse things to be traveling for. Yeah, no doubt. Well... I just I like to try and prepare because it's one of those things to where it's you go on a seven nine day hunt and then literally you have a day in between but that day is traveling to go to the next one mm-hmm. or getting to the office going through Dump. all your gear clearing footage dumping footage washing your clothes you leave again yeah I think for me the the thing that I really got tired of more than anything was packing and repacking yeah I just because I was flying everywhere. And packing for, and I hadn't really got my flying system down. I still don't really. I might make some changes. I don't changes. think you ever get your flying system yeah, down. Yeah, I, I might make some f- changes 
this fall. I'm looking at a new backpack system. I don't think and stuff, you're going to be but, flying a whole lot. Uh, you'll be flying to Utah, but other than that, I think you'll be riding with Kip most everywhere. Yeah, but I'm have to get to Kip, so I'll probably fly up there. Oh, really? I would just drive. It's only eight hours. Is it only eight hours? Yeah, it's only oh. eight or nine hours. Why did I keep flying up there? Oh, that's because my last truck well, was crap. Um, oh yeah, no, nah, that's, that's why. probably why. Yeah, but now I can drive up there. I yeah, well, if I don't I have to if drive I don't, in a heartbeat before I fly. Yeah, especially so. if if I know I'm going to be on the road with him for as long as as long as we'll be, then that's better because I can pack more things. But that that's what really got tiresome for me more than anything was you pack all your stuff into two pelicans and a backpack, and then yeah. you do the gear explosion at camp. Everything and gets spread all over the place. Everything gets there first. Yeah. Yep. Everything gets spread all over the place in camp. Then you've got, you know, a couple hours to repack all of it. It never goes in at camp as good as it does in the office. Then you fly somewhere else. You never else. have as much room. Yeah. You never have as much room to work. Like, when I get to a camp and they tell me I have a whole room or a whole basement, I'm like, oh, seriously? Stuff everywhere. And But usually it's like, hey... There's three guys in this room. It's about the size of my office, and I get a corner. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. The worst is when I went to the, the Alaska trip I was telling you about, and it was me and Dalkey in a room. In a, in a, We had a shower, a bathroom, two bunk beds, and everything that was smaller than your office, and all my gear. And I'm like, this is going to suck. And it did for 15 days in that room. Mm. Oh, man, I was so ready to get out of there. Nope, 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 nope. But especially being a person who likes to be very organized and segmented. Yeah. There sometimes it just you get those situations and all of your gears just in a pile. Mm-hmm. I hate that. But well, there's nothing you can do about it. There's nowhere yeah. else you could put it. And 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 like <clears throat> Kip and like Chuck and like Dudley, they hunt till the bitter end. You don't ever have time to pack it like you want. It's like fit it in the case, we'll figure it out later. Yeah, if there's if there's time to get a hunt in before you have to leave, mm-hmm. you'll be hunting. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, so the uh, the fall's shaking out kind of like this, for those of you that are wondering. Um, I'll be at TAC. Um, Briar's going to uh, Louisiana. And then the next thing is you'll be in South Carolina. And then... Um, I don't go anywhere until September. You no... Know, no, 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 no. Well, then it changed. It will, it will change. You will be definitely doing something end of August, I would assume. Um, I'm, I'm, I actually might try and take you here with me as a third guy, if that's okay with them. I don't think there'll be a problem, just because that way you can get, I can get your feet wet on that one. And then um, you'll be in South Dakota. I'll be in Montana. Ryder will be in Wyoming. Then this one, and I'm, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out. You you might be going to Deseret that second week or third week with Clint, and then, well, that means you wouldn't be able to come meet in New Mexico. I'm still waiting on dates from Red Arrow to see whether or not, because if you're there, I might send. If there's available, you might come with me, and I might send Ryder to Deseret. But I got a feeling that you're going to be with Kit that week. Mm-hmm. And then it's me and Ryer at Deseret, and then Missouri, and then it's off to the races. Um, September's just as crazy as it's always been. I mean, look at that calendar. It just looks like Skittles. 
Yeah, we got to get that figured out because mine's still not colored. Oh, really? No. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But anyway, um, yeah, it's going to be a super busy fall. It's going to um, be fun. It's going to be it's going to be fun. There's going to be, I mean, the Deseret trips just to get to go to Deseret, man. Holy crap, that place is unbelievable. Um, Clay's going to get to go with me to Lee and Tiffany's to do some stuff with. That, uh, that's what I'm most excited. Yeah, about. that one's going to be fun. Um, and hopefully we get there at the right time. If we're there at the right time, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, you're going to get go back to Texas and have a kill fest with Kip again. I know you're excited about that. Is that at Holton's place? Yeah, he's going back to Holton. In December? Mm-hmm. No, I think he's going. Um, I thought we had the December one. He's going probably in Dece- both. I think he's going both. Yeah, I think it's he's going both. twice. We're going to do that again. Because he's going the first week, Red Arrow, Texas. He's going the first week of November. So you're going to be doing a rut hunt there, and then he's going to probably go back and do the kill fest again for does. So you'll be there twice. We might. We might be. Might be going for a big buck on that first one. Mm. Might be. Not sure. Well, you know, but if the doe steps out, you know, yeah. it's Kip. Yeah, so. Kip doesn't discriminate. <laughs> um, which Equal opportunity. I didn't realize, I mean, I did I did, and I didn't, how big Kip was, even around here. Like, I was talking to uh, Daniel Tritt over at the Tritt Sporting Goods, our local hunting store, and he's like, he's like, man, I've had a bunch of people come in here and like, did you hear Caleb's doing Red Arrow show? And, he's like, and I was like, really? He's like, yeah, dude. People around here love that freaking show. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a great show. It's a great host. I think I think it's super relatable to yeah. to guys out there because I, I think that especially around here and how you've told me guys hunt around here, I mean, guys out here are taking whatever steps out in front of them. I oh, mean, you're, yeah. Not, yeah. you're not waiting for a big, massive buck. Mm-mm. You may not be waiting for a buck. You're going to take whatever whatever steps out in front if, of you, and that's really it's how... brown, it's down. That's really Kip's style of hunting. I mean... For him to wait for a buck takes a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a doe comes out and she's hanging around and maybe she starts acting a little spooky, yeah, she's got to go. If she blows, she goes. She's got to go. <laughs> exactly. And so for Kip to hold off and wait for a buck is like against, like there's something in him that's just like, <laughs> I just got to shoot something. <laughs> if I have the possibility of not shooting something today, oh yeah, I can't live with that. I've been there before. And I think that I think for a lot of people that's really relatable to them. Yeah. Because that's how they hunt, you know. And most guys aren't gonna get to go to the Deseret or yeah. to Lee and Tiff's place and have big, huge, massive deer and have all the deer to choose from. You know? All the deer. <clears throat> they're they've got the deer that come by their stand and that's yeah, that's what they're gonna shoot. So Well, there's obviously gonna be trips that crop up, like I don't have anything on the schedule for Chuck and we find out hopefully pretty soon whether or not and you know how how much we're going to get to do with him this fall and those are going to be fun trips they always are and then um i'm sure there'll be a crop up hunt that'll crop in somewhere like i'm going to try and go to oklahoma i want to take my dad somewhere i'm going to try and go there oh, you in need november to go to holton's place i'd love to go to holton's place but i don't think i can afford to go to holton's place mm. i don't know how much it is I'm, i don't know either i'd like to find out i mean i'd like to go do a management hunt like he did with that was, I mean, that was like a freaking killer trip. My dad would love that, but I just want to take my dad somewhere. He had nothing else just to watch the yeah, bucks. I haven't got to go with him yet in the last two years. I elk hunted with him three years ago in 2017. That's, a, that's when y'all killed that, um, yeah, in Colorado, when, right? Yeah, that's when I killed mm-hmm. my bull in Colorado. We weren't too far from you when you did yeah, that. Yeah, you, y'all were outside Colorado Springs. Yeah, we were basically on the other side of the mountain range from mm-hmm. it. Yeah, so just about anyway. Um, I guess we'll get into the actual podcast. Did you, you don't, I need to connect you to the notes because he doesn't have the notes yet. Do you have the notes? I have the notes. Okay. 
I um, have the I've been notes. in college for six years, never once used notes, and I think I'm good now. Oh, man, I've used You didn't ever take notes? No, <laughs> or study for tests. Mm. Um, I guess that's why I'm in year six. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, um, I did that all through high school, and apparently that doesn't fly when you get to college, so. Yeah, no doubt. You, you can't try to do engineering classes and not take notes. Well, I guess you could if you weren't really stupid at math. Turns out. I'm real stupid at math, so <laughs> it didn't work out well for me. Yeah, I'm not the math guy either. I don't have the patience. Um, not too good at geology. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so the Ten Commandments of outdoor video production. Um, the first, my first Ten Commandment, and if y'all disagree with me, please tell me. Um, and and a lot of this might sound redundant. Might you know we've went over we've went over every one of these. Guarantee it. But it's one of those things to where I think these things are so important to doing a good job of creating good content, creating content that people want to watch, that people are even willing to pay for. And I say people, I mean companies and brands and things like that. But um, I saw a TikTok the other day that was, uh, it was a guy who's a photographer. And he was like, only 1% of photographers have this skill. Only 1%. Here's how... He's like, I've got it. Here's the 1%. And he goes and he pulls out a check. He's like, getting paid for your photography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I the truth. I thought that was pretty funny. That <laughs> is the truth. Um, the, the first commandment, I think, and these are in no like no really particular order, the first thing I think is you've got to know your camera and all your gear that you're using. You need to know the functions, the buttons, the rings, what they do, how to manipulate them. You need to know how to get to things in the menu. You need to be able to manipulate that camera in a way that you can effectively um, do your job and not take time away from your client or your hunt or yourself um, while on a trip because knowing knowing those things are so important because you can be that much more confident in your shooting ability in your uh, in your you know in your hunt really by just knowing, that camera and everything that's associated with it. Uh, I know I've been on trips with guys. Anytime that I'm in front of the camera, which is rare, which I try to avoid, is I'm always, most of the time, other than the time one or two times Ryers went with me, um, I'm always having someone run the camera that is very inexperienced. And they end up asking a lot of questions that I assume they know. Um, what is the red? I'm looking at red all over the screen. What does that mean? That's peaking. All right. What are those? What are those lines that are in the sky? That's zebra. You know. How, how do I? What, what does that tell me? You know. All these little nuanced things that we take for granted, knowing what they are, and I can never enjoy myself when I do a hunt with somebody like that because, um, I'm always worried about. Okay, are they getting the things that they need? Mm-hmm. Because I know I'm going to have to edit this. You know, even if it's for a, a little Rambo shoot or if it's for a like the hunting we did in Oklahoma, no matter what it's for, you know, are they getting the basics? Do they know how to run the camera well enough to where they're not worried about running the camera? They're worried about getting all the things that they need to tell a good story. And that's the the basis of everything is knowing your gear. And if you don't know your gear, then you're going to struggle all the time to try and essentially fake your way through trying to produce something when all you're doing is worrying about is this in focus? Am I shooting in the right shutter speed? You know, do I have this 
camera set to the right frames per second? You know, how do I switch back and forth from high speed to regular speed? How do I do this, that, and the other? Those things should be second nature. You should know how to do those things. Well, you really need them to be second nature too because when an animal comes in or when things are happening really quickly, you don't have time to stop. You don't have time to fumble around. You don't have time to go around and, and try to be figuring it out. You need to know, okay, this is what I need to do without really even having to think about it. You need to know how to nail your focus and get your light right and how to move the camera. And if there are settings that need change to get your focus and to get your light right, you got to be able to do that now. Mm-hmm. So the only way to do that is to make sure that you know your camera like the back of your hand. Well, yeah. a lot of it in the industry that we're in is done in the dark. Mm-hmm. So, or virtually in the yeah, dark, yeah. So being able to, to know where those things are and not have to turn a light on for them or things like that, that um, just like the first 30 minutes, last 30 minutes, it might be bright enough in that field for you to see, but you can't see back in that little hammock that you're in or anything like that. So. Or if you're in a ground blind. I mean, yep. it's always darker inside the blind always. than it's going to be outside. So when you start running out of light outside, it's already pitch black inside the blind. And you got to know how to, you got to know where everything's at. Yep. Um, I'm replying to a message on the YouTube. Sorry. Uh, the next thing is pre-production. And I've talked about pre-production and why I think that's so important. So the second commandment is pre-production. And the reason that is, is I think if you take the time to sit down and plan even just a little bit, um, the hunt, the location, the travel, the logistics, then, uh, I think that is going to help you so much when you go into something with a plan, even though like I, another thing I told Clay this morning is my wife is a planner. She wants to plan everything to the dot and tittle. And I'm not, I, I, I like to have a good overview, like a 10,000 foot view, but I also understand that a lot of times you're going to have to go with the flow. You're going to have to figure it out. And, uh, she doesn't like deviating from plans much. Um, and so, therefore, I know she could never do this job because there's a lot of times you have to get, you have to deviate from a plan. I mean, like when you were in Idaho with Brian and his son and uh, the hunt was going really badly and, you know, weren't getting on any elk and everything, and you're like, okay, now what do I do? We don't have elk. We don't have the, the, the focal point of this project. Well, how do I save that? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you had to go back and you had to, to, you know, get Brian to talk about how hard this was, how cool it was for him to have his son there, get the interviews with them and tie everything together because, I mean, you can't waste a week of elk hunting and not have something to show for it. Um, and that's kind of one of those things where you just got to roll with the punches and figure it out. And uh, and then sometimes you have the opposite, whereas you have, you're editing a show right now where you've got too many kills and you got to figure out how to get them all in there. Mm-hmm. So um, there's no template for any of it. Uh, you've just, that's where we figure it out all the time. Um, third one I've got is get the B-roll. And what I mean by the third commandment, get the B-roll, is I'm editing footage that we didn't shoot, again, for Red Arrow. Uh, Ryer, hate his guts, got to edit all the shows that he shot. So Which he I think had, is only fair. <laughs> so Let it be stated. He's got all the B-roll, all the scenics, which I'm going to get into that later. He's got all the things. Um, 
<laughs> the head must have just got on the Instagram and said, what is Red Velvet wearing? It's called style. Look <laughs> you, it up. You missed, you missed the very beginning of the podcast. You need to go back and watch the very beginning. Um, or the live stream on YouTube. This shirt is doing exactly what we needed <laughs> yeah. to do. It's getting yeah. attention. The focal point. You are the focal point. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't even remember what I was talking about. B-roll. B-roll. So, Ryder's getting edited all the footage that he has, all the shots, all the B-roll, all the things, all the transitions, every sponsor shot, every little knick-knacky piece of content he needs to speed the story up, slow the story down, go from one place to the other. And I'm editing, and I might get two pieces of B-roll every sit, maybe. And they're not even, they're not that great. So I'm having to use longer shots and more shots of things that I would generally cut out Mm -hmm. or speed the story up. I don't have the pieces of content. I don't have those B-roll shots to do that. If I don't have shots to cover up my edits, if I don't have shots to move the time, move time around, then I'm stuck with what I got. Uh, And I've, I've explained that to so many people um, before. It's like, I don't care how good an editor you have, you have, you can get, you can hire the editor that, edits the best television show in the world, whatever that is. And if they don't have the footage, doesn't matter. An editor can only do so, so much. So get the B-roll. The shots, you can never have enough of it. Get shots that move the story along. All the little sponsor clips, shots of leaves, trees, grass, all the things that you're experiencing while you're in the field. And then shots of gear, shots of hand, shots of eyes, shots of clothing, shots of you name it, man. There's a laundry list of things that you can be getting. And change your angles. B-roll can be wide. B-roll can be super, super tight and anything in between. Um, don't limit yourself to only getting tight shots in B-roll. Don't limit yourself to only getting big, wide shots. And the worst, in my opinion, is everything is medium. Everything is shot, and it all looks the same. I go from clip to clip to clip, and it looks like literally somebody left the camera rolling on the same spot, and they never changed Um the, the focal length or, you know, how, how far they were zoomed in or how far they were pulled out. Um, it just, it makes it really hard to tell a good story when everything kind of has that same medium type feel. Um, well, B-roll is what, <clears throat> B-roll is what allows you to have options in the editing room. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got B-roll, you could take that three minutes of somebody talking and cut it down to 30 seconds and cover all those cuts. If you have B-roll, you could take 30 seconds of somebody talking and turn it into a minute. You could, especially with TV where you have a time that you have to meet, you can you know, really play out the beginning of the scene with some really pretty scenics and setting where you're sitting or you know, playing out in the middle of the scene until the music hits where you want to bring the animal into that scene. Um, you know, You can speed up that that sequence, the shot sequence where the animal comes in and gets shot. You know, if you don't have B-roll, you pretty much have to play it exactly how it happens in real time uh, or jump cut or use, I mean, hopefully maybe you get some 4K and you can use um, the the crop in and crop out kind of technique. But if you have B-roll of your hunter, if you have different angles of that deer, you're able to, or whatever animal it is, um, you're able to, really manipulate the timing of that sequence and you can make everything happen exactly when and for how long you want it to happen. 
And then if you have the B-roll, you can really dictate the emotion of that scene and how it feels. You know, if you want it to feel really fast, you can make it feel really fast. If you want it to feel really suspenseful and drawn out, you can make it feel like that by using longer clips or shorter clips or tight clips or really emotional shots of the hands and the eyes and stuff like that. It's what gives you all of that um, room to mess around in the edit that if you only have your uh, A-roll, I guess, which I've never used that. Yeah, me either. But I guess that it must be A-roll because there's B-roll. But I mean, yeah. I mean, if, it you makes only, sense. if you only have the primary footage, you really just don't have all of those options. Yeah. And so that's, I think one of that's why you have to have all of the B roll. Yeah, all the B roll. Um, fourth commandment is get the dialogue, and then we've talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. The who, what, when, where, why, and whether. Assume your viewers stupid. Assume they don't know where you are, what you're hunting, or what what you're doing at all. Um, get those get get the pieces of talking that explain who, what, when, where, and why. If nothing else, not for the viewer, for the guy that's going to edit it, if you're not the one editing it. Um, talk incessantly, even if you feel like you're repeating yourself. Any opportunity to talk and explain what's going on. I can't tell you how many times I ask that question when I'm filming. What is happening? Talk to the camera. What is happening? What are we doing? Where do we just go? Where are we going? Where do we just come from? Why are we doing that? All the time. Um, who, what, when, where, why, and whether. I swear I'm going to get a shirt that says Copeland Creative produced the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I don't understand. Talk to me, Goose. Yeah, I, I don't understand why that's not. It's so easy. It's so easy. It just takes you as a producer to ask the question, what are we doing? Where are we going? Where did we just come from? Something just happened. What just happened? Tell me what happened. I know what happened. The viewer doesn't. So get those things. It's not hard to do. Um, and it also turns into a template for you to know more B-roll shots to get. Yeah. Oh you yeah, know, that that you get them talking, and then you go, okay, now I need to get shots of all of those things, and that way you have them talking about those things, and you have shots of those things, and you can use the talking and the shots. You could use just the talking, you could use just the shots, or a combination of both to bring the viewer into the situation yeah. that you're trying to show them. Yeah, there's a lot of videos out there that there's you never see any B-roll, and most of the time it's because no one ever looks at the camera and talks to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can. I've edited shows where there's not a, never a word spoken. You're about to edit one. Mm-mm. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Mm-mm, he said. Yeah. The one, yes, sir. The one I just handed you this morning with Chuck. They shot in a different style. The there's never a word spoken. We did not shoot it. Um. But did you yeah. see the look of panic in yeah. his face? In his eyes? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm going through the drone stuff. It looks. It looks good. Oh yeah. Well, Wall and Foff, I shot it. I guarantee it looks really good. They just they they're the the show that they're shooting is completely different than what we're shooting, um, but it, it's it's a style choice a lot of times, and that's just not my style. If you want to do that style, just be prepared to shoot a lot of interviews, and read a lot of voiceover. Um, it's just not my style, and it's not right or wrong. I'd rather do interviews than voiceover. That's oh me, yeah, that's me personally for sure. Um, I think another thing that was important, and you kind of went quick over it, but you said get the dialogue for the editor. And I think that's an important point too, especially if you are giving this to somebody else who wasn't on the hunt. All of the things that happen may seem very self-explanatory to you because you were there, you shot it, you were there for the whole hunt. Uh, but as an editor, when you get that footage, if you're getting footage and there's no talking, it can be really hard to try to figure out what is happening when. 
And if you're trying to tell that story, having at least a base knowledge of what happens when is what's going to allow you to really try to edit that piece true to what happened. And so, you know, if for nothing else, get that talking so that when you hand that to an editor, they can go through and see, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It almost mm-hmm. serves as notes for them. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because they'll have to watch through all the footage anyways. And yeah. so if you punctuate it with all of those little bits and pieces of talking, then it just makes it that much easier for them to know what's happening. Especially if there's a lot of moving or a lot of different things going on. And it sometimes it just doesn't look as explanatory in the footage as you may think that it is. Well, think about, think about shows and, and things you've edited where there's multiple locations, mm-hmm. multiple days, multiple animals, multiple everything. You know, or you know, in the case of the Virginia show that we're going to edit for Kip, it happens over the course of virtually three seasons, right? From spring to summer to fall to winter to one farm to another farm to his house to, if there's not some sort of explanation of what we're doing, where we've been, what time of year it is, us as an editor, we don't know, much less the viewer. Mm-hmm. So that's why you've got to always, always, always get those things. For those two reasons, for the viewer and for the editor. But, yeah, I know for sure. Um, next thing is we've kind of already talked about it. The next three commandments are essentially they're forms of B-roll, but they're more specific. So five, six, and seven are get the transitions, get the establishing shots, and get the scenics. Um, and to kind of break those down, we've talked about it, what transition shots are. Transition shots are things that get you from the house to the tree that gets you from a day to a night, that gets you from day to day, that gets you from the truck to the tree stand. It doesn't matter what those are. It's a it's a shot that shows me instead of telling me we're going, things are changing, places are moving, time is moving, whatever that is. It can be a time lapse. It can be a drone shot. It can be a shot of the ranger driving by. It can be a shot of unloading the boat. It can be a shot of anything that tells me subconsciously we're transitioning. And uh, a lot of times in the field, we shoot shots that are technically B-roll that can be used as transitions. But a lot of times I go into the field literally looking for, okay, how do I get from day one to day two? Okay, a night lapse will get me there. How do I get from the truck to the tree? Okay, I got, you know, a shot of kept driving and getting out of the truck and, you know, getting ready or whatever. That's That transitions me. I don't have to say anything. You see him doing it. And it could be a sequence, like what you just yeah. said. It's not yeah. always one shot. It could yeah. be three to five shots, like yeah. what you just said. Truck mm-hmm. driving, Kip gets out of the truck. Mm-hmm. You see him walking into the forest. Yeah. You, can, you can almost edit in your camera. So when you pull, yeah. when you pull that footage I in, do edit in my camera yeah, virtually. Those, those three clips or four clips, whatever, they're in order. You're just pulling them in, cutting them to whatever time you want, and yeah. there's your transition. Well, that and and then you can do it like Ryer said or Ike said, where it's three to five shots, or it could be literally as simple as him setting us up what we're doing in camp, a drone shot of the truck driving down the road, and the next shot can be him in the tree. Mm-hmm. We know by hearing Kip set us up, a drone shot comes over him talking, we hear gravel crunching, and then the next shot is him talking in the tree. That is my transition shot, that drone shot of the truck. That got me from camp to the tree in one shot. You can do that in one shot. You can do it in 10. doesn't matter, but you got to get me there. Versus the easy approach is 
shooting an interview said, well, we got done at camp shooting our bow and we went to the tree stand. I would rather you show me that than tell me that. Um, so get those transitions, establishing shots. How do you get someone into a building? How do you get someone out of a building? How do you get someone to a location? And sometimes it's as simple as getting a shot of the outside of the, the lodge, the outside of the house, the outside of the tree stand, the outside of the truck. It doesn't matter. Use those shots to establish a place or a location. Get those shots. They're very, very easy to get. Um, and then the last is scenics. Is what you know when you th- when you hear scenic? What do you think of when you hear scenic? I think of either wide landscape type shots, or I think of super detaily tight shots that are specific to whatever area I'm in. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I would even jump into what we consider scenics is time lapses, big expanses of drone shots, anything that is eye appealing that can be used for a multitude of different things. Transitions, establishing shots, moving shots, B-roll. They can be used for a lot of things, but they're shot for a specific reason. And generally, when I shoot scenics, I want to make them generic enough to where I can use them throughout an entire show Mm -hmm. or an entire series. You know, you shoot a big, wide, you know, Midwest shot in the fall, I can use that for any deer hunt that happens in the fall. You know, as long as I don't tie a particular truck or a particular house or a particular landmark to that, I can use that for anything. Oh, I've seen your truck in a lot of Oh, dude, a lot. Because nobody, I mean, my truck, my old black truck, I guarantee that thing has been in more television shows and crap than I have. (laughs) That truck got used in everything. Um, But it was a good-looking truck. And I was always on the location, so I'd have somebody drive and I'd fly the drone or vice versa. Uh, yeah, that truck made a lot of video. Um, you can also get very, um, I don't want to say cinematic, but very pretty with the scenics. They're more of a planned out type thing. Yeah, yeah. generally scenics are. Um, but they're, they're, they have their own purpose. So those were the, the, get the, get the transitions, get the established shot, get the scenics. And go watch, go watch a network television show. Not necessarily on the hunting show, on the hunting channels. If you watch the hunting channels, you're going to see this stuff. Um, but go watch your favorite show and take mental notes of when they're changing the scene, when they're changing the location, when they're changing, um, you know, the group of characters that they're following. How are they doing that? What visual and audio cues are they giving you so that you subconsciously go from here with this group of characters? to hear with this group of characters. And it's usually and one, or see, two, one or two shots that gets you there. Yep, mm-hmm. and you're going to see, the, you're gonna see uh, establishing shots. You're going to see scenic shots. You're going to see, um, you know, the, the aerials. You're going to see, uh, I don't see a ton of time lapse on. No, um, not usually. When I, when I see them, they're whatever, if a show is like based in a city, I see a lot of pull-out time lapses mm-hmm. wide of the city. That's yeah. usually what I Yeah, the, the main... The main one that I can think that used time lapses the most was uh, House of Cards, and their whole intro sequence was was time lapses I, of Washington. I DC. watched my girlfriend got me into watching Grey's Anatomy a few weeks ago. Oh, they I wouldn't that. have admitted that. I, dude, I'm not gonna lie. I counted one episode; they're like 42 minutes long, and every single scenic shot of like transition, either time lapse or drone, or it could have been a helicopter, 
had the Seattle, whatever that monument is. The Space Needle? Yeah. Mm. Every single one of them mm. of those establishing shots had that needle in it, and there were 11 of them. Yeah. I, I watched shows. Well, it ties it to Seattle. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've watched so many shows in, like, I can't remember the show. It's one me and call All-American on Netflix. And they would use their transition shots, and they had a, di- a library of transition shots. I'm sure they either bought them or went out and shot them or had somebody go shoot them. And there's like this one shot they use like nine different times throughout the season. I kind of like, ah, they've already used that shot. Ah, they've already used that shot. And then another thing is when you're doing the the scenics, or I know we've passed on, but if you're in a very specific place, it's okay to not get the generic things and get the super specifics. Like when we were in Florida doing the thing with Brian, you want the super specific Florida stuff. Mm-hmm. When you're in Texas or somewhere like that, super specific Texas stuff. But when you're in just Iowa or Missouri, that's when you can go. Yeah. Get, oh, yeah. Get the generic you stuff. get the you get in the Midwest. You can generally make things pass over for certain things. You get in like the Southeast and minus Florida and the beaches. You can make things pass over like Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, places like that. Carolinas. I can you know I can probably you know if we had to get a shot for like South Carolina, the show I just edited for Red Arrow, I could probably fly the drone around here in the summertime and pass it over for South Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with Florida. You know, Florida and then the coast in South Carolina, the coast in Louisiana. Like, you can probably make mm-hmm. some of those things work for one another. But once you add in a house or a truck or a person into that scenic, well, it's tied to that. Yeah. You know, and I, I like to have a mixture of both. I like to have generics and things that are tied um, just because it it really ups the production value when you can really tie it to one, one specific thing. Um, next thing is I want to talk about the eighth commandment, which is always get the recreates. Another thing that we've had trouble getting um, from other producers and freelance people is they don't take the time to get the the, the recreates or the uh, or the the restages or the whatever you want to call them um, cutaways was what we used to call them. All those nuanced shots of tights of um, flipping off the safety t- tights of clipping in the release, tights of eyes, tights of hands, tights of grunting, tights of gla- you know, tights of glassing, all the different shots that help during a kill sequence or during a spot and stock or do- during a any kind of hunt sequence to where you can speed that up or slow it down like we were just talking about earlier with B-roll. It's just another form of B-roll and all these things happen while you're on the hunt, but you've got to make sure we get those after the fact because if you can't get them live, you got to get them after the fact. Um, this is entertainment. What we're producing is entertainment. It's not acting. It's not faking. It's getting the story as it happened, just not in the right chronological order. So uh, that's a that's a really important one that I think a lot of people overlook or just they forget to do is getting those recreates, and they're incredibly important to be able to restage every scene that comes, you know, that happens because. That helps the viewer. You got to assume the viewer's stupid. They, if all they see is shots of animals and then an animal runs off, they don't know what happened in between. So if we can show them what happened in between, glassing, you know, stalking, all these things, even if the animal runs off, if we restage how that animal saw you or ran off or whatever it is, if we can't explain that, well, then you just you you, you left them wondering what happened. Well, and um, you're, you're not faking anything. You're just recreating yeah, what happened. Yeah, exactly. If he didn't lay in a river and point his gun upstream and, and shoot a thousand-yard shot, don't recreate that. But mm-hmm. that's what he actually did. Then yeah. go through and recreate it. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be genuine, and it needs to be one of those things to where it's relatable. Um, some people try and 
make recreates, and you can tell the ones that are over the top. I try to make recreates as close to what actually happened as I possibly can. I don't like to make them over the top. I don't like to add a bunch of you know flash to them. I try and make them fairly simple um, because usually recreate shots are literally there to cover up edits in a hunt. Um, they're there to... If you know a lot of the time when the deer comes in, it might take him seven or eight minutes to get there to get shot. Well, you don't have seven or eight minutes. I've got two minutes. So those recreates are what push that timeline. You know, or if the kill happened in 30 seconds, well, I don't want it to happen in 30 seconds. I want it to happen in a minute and a half. I've got to be able to slow that timeline down. And if I don't have the B roll, if I don't have the recreates, if I don't have the talking, the dialogue, that there he is, the, you know, hey, I'm going to get my bow. Are you on him? Are you on him? I mean, all those type of things. I can't do anything but show the 30-second kill. That's all I got. If I don't have the things to tell a better version of that story, then I'm stuck with what I've got. And an editor hates your guts. The, and the, the biggest way to kind of, I don't want to say hide your recreates, but trying to make them not look like recreates, and tell me if I'm wrong, is I've seen a lot of people, they'll actually get in front of the hunter and shoot back at them. Mm-hmm. and. People are stupid, but people are smart enough to know that during that hunt, you were not directly in front of that person. Um, I always try to stay, like, three-quarters of the way behind them, Mm -hmm. not directly in front of them, but, like, off their shoulders at a 45 angle and then completely behind them. I try and stay, like, wherever I was set up, if I was over their right shoulder, I try and shoot the recreates on their right side, um, which I generally stay on the right shoulder most of the time anyway. But uh, I'll get directly beside them, you know, you know, shoot them, straight, you know, straight side profile or even almost, you know, a touch in the front. I generally, I mean, I've done stuff where I'm just directly in front of them, but it's just to be creative and do some sort of like rack focus or something. But generally I'm like, if, if the gun's pointing this way or the bow's pointing this way or the shot happened this way, I'm here or here right. is generally where mm-hmm. I'm shooting um, B-roll, you know, back at their face, their eyes, their hands, their, you know, their calls or whatever, whatever was going on. Um, that's generally how I shoot them. And, I like to shoot them medium and tight. You know, I don't, and maybe I'll do a big wide, but I like, I usually let my second angle camera get the wide, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And I recreate on both. If I don't get the shot happening on the, you know, live on the recreate or on the B roll camera or the GoPro or the uh, Osmo or whatever, I'll recreate that angle too. I recreate them both. Mm-hmm. That way I've got two versions of that that I can cut back and forth to. Um, just another way of slowing your story down or speeding your story up. What I like to do, and I've, found this that i've enjoyed doing it a couple times and i guess the best example of this would be um a shot sequence that happened with a turkey with brian um in what was that missouri Mm -hmm. yeah so basically what had happened was we had set in this place waiting for turkeys to come in they hung up and we literally had to leave in an hour we Mm -hmm. had to be in the truck driving in an hour and so brian goes okay um we know they're somewhere back behind this uh, little rise. Let's just go sneak up there, see if they're there. If they are and we get lucky, we'll shoot one. So we take, I take my camera off the tripod, hand hold it. He takes his gun, and we crawl all the way through all the grass up to the rise. Turkeys are right there. He shoots turkeys. It's awesome. We get the recovery and all that. Um, and then we go to do B-roll, and... I decided for that B-roll, I wanted it to be as look as close to real time as possible. And so um, we did we did the whole crawl twice, and this is what I did. I, I For one of the crawls, I literally got behind him and 
recorded the B-roll as if we were crawling and I was filming while we were crawling. And so it was really shaky. It was really raw and rough. And um, that was intentional. And then we did it a second time and I didn't crawl, but I still made that footage uh, a little shaky. You know, I was intentionally moving the camera from this to that or kind of just shaking it a little bit. And I think that that worked in that situation because the actual shot and that whole hunt sequence was fast and handheld. And if I had tried to get B-roll or or recreates that were steady and on a tripod and really smooth, I think they would have stood out from the actual footage and it mm-hmm. would have been jarring. Yeah. And so I like to try to think, okay, how did this go down? What What's the mood and what is, I guess, something popped up there on your Instagram live feed. Live ended. What? Why did that happen? Time limit, I guess, uh, maybe. There's only an hour? I don't yep. know. Um, And I try oh, to think, okay. okay, what is, what, I don't know if mood is the right term here but what's the energy of that sequence and how can I recreate that in my b-roll to enhance that and to make it mesh with what actually happened you know and so if you do have a uh, a sequence where maybe you're um, shooting a long-range rifle at a mule deer on the far hill and everything's very slow and very steady and everybody is is taking their time well, then the B-roll that I, the type of B-roll that I, or recreates, I call it B-roll. I know it's recreates. It's also B-roll. So, you know, just hear whichever one you want to. <laughs> um, if I had shot the recreates in the same style that I had with Brian, it would look weird because that's not how it went down. And that's not the energy that that, that, that scene has, that that, that stock had. Um, so for those ones, you do want it to be on a tripod. You do want it to be very calculated. You do want it to be smooth. So just try to keep that in mind. And, and like you said, you know, you're not going to be directly in front of your hunter and you're going to try to make it seem like, okay, this is what was actually happening. And that's more for telling the story and getting your viewer, uh, to feel like they're there. Mm -hmm. It's not faking it. It's just helping your viewer feel like they're there. Well, it's like thinking of thinking about it, think about it like a movie where there's like the, a chaotic running through the wood scene, running away from a murderer. Are those shots ever on a hand, you know, steady cam to where they're like super smooth? No, they look like they're, yeah, they're getting all ran over by a truck where they're running through and shaking and literally handheld through the woods. It's because they want you to feel the chaos of what is happening in the scene. Well, like that one, the, the movie with it just came out on Netflix um, everybody's been talking about it. it's an action movie. Ex, not extra, extraction. Extraction. So if you watch the behind the scenes for extraction, they did a, a one-er action scene. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was basically handheld. Mm-hmm. And because they wanted that chaos, because they wanted it to be really raw, um, there was a scene where they were driving and it didn't make sense to have the camera on the standard car jib gimbal that you would usually film a car chasing on. So they literally strapped a guy to the hood of a car, hand-holding the camera to get that chase scene because that's what made sense to the energy of mm-hmm. that particular moment. Yeah. So you don't always have to do everything smooth. You don't always have to do it handheld. You need to just make sure you tailor it to the 
the mood and the energy you're trying to set. Yeah. Well, that cord reach over here, my thing's dying, and we're going to lose the live stream if it doesn't. Uh-oh. We got another cord? Yeah, I think it'll work. I think we can make it work. Oh, yeah, we got plenty. Plenty. I just don't want to die on us. I keep forgetting to bring mine from home. It's a good thing somebody's prepared yeah, around here. Yeah, I know. It's really, really bad. What are we on to? New uh, Ocho? Number nine. nine. Number nine, which is my favorite, communication. Communication can be... We're, I'm talking about communication in terms of production, but everybody knows I'm like kind of a stickler on communication as terms of like answering your phone because it annoys me. But in terms of what we're talking about for the Tenth Commandments, the Ninth Commandment being communication, I think Ryer needs to take this one because you yeah. had the best... Uh, guess example of how important communication is on this last edit that you just did. Yeah, so um, we were in Texas shooting does, and the nature of the place that we're at on, in Texas, and I don't know if it's like this every year, um, and I'm not always the best to speak to it because, as any of you know, my hunting experience is summed up in the four or five years that I've been working. Um, filming hunts so I don't have as much hunting experience as really anybody um but there was so many deer and they were so jacked up and um the bucks were running all over the place and the bucks were running the does off the the corn piles and everything and so we're here trying to shoot does and we cannot for the life of us get one to stand still long enough to shoot it and and in this particular evening, we weren't, we were shooting, uh, uh, we were, I was shooting the camera. Kip was shooting um, uh, the 300 Blackout, his uh, Red Arrow Weapons 300 Blackout. And uh, so we really didn't even need as much time as you would need to bow hunt for them to stand still, and they still wouldn't. I mean, yeah. there's does just running all over the place, anytime never they, standing well, still. Well, anytime they stopped, the bucks would move them around. Or, yeah, they're getting pushed around and yeah. and there's just so many of them that, that it's really chaotic and we're trying to get one killed and they're spread out. I mean, there's does here, you're here, not trying here, to get here, one here, killed. Here. You're trying to get dozens killed. Well, we're trying to get at, at but, any given moment, we're trying to kill one, yeah, one doe. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm trying to get on the right doe and we're, I'm talking with Kip to make sure that I'm on the right doe. And because they're moving so much, that changes every 15 to 20 to 30 seconds, which one is in the right position to shoot. And so you can hear if you, if you were to watch this scene, which is probably, oh, seven minutes long, just me and Kip talking back and forth to, to each other. Okay. It's the one in the very back. The one, is she facing, is she facing right or left? She's facing left. Okay. I've got her. Is she looking back now? No, not that one. The other one, she's looking forward. Oh, nope. She moved. Okay. It's the one right underneath the feeder. Uh, the one to the right of the, or the left of the feeder. Uh, the one to the right of the feeder. Do you got her? Oh, no, no, I don't got her. Oh, she moved now. Go to the other one. Yeah. But that, but if you. And it's for, it's a solid seven minutes of that. Yeah. And we shoot one and then we move on to another one mm -hmm. and it's just us talking the whole entire but time. How many times did you have to tell him no during that? Uh, you're not on them. You're not on the right one. Yeah, Wait like, on I don't it. know. I don't. It, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Or I was on the right one. I'm like the trees in the way. No, the trees in the way. Yeah. As soon as she cleared the tree, I go, okay, Kip, she's she's good. You can shoot her now. Yeah. Immediately, boom. Yeah. Gone. Move on to the next one. <laughs> but you, <laughs> the next one. But you you have to make sure that they know whether you are on it or not. Yeah. And if you're in, um, 
if you're ready for them to shoot. Yeah. Because you could be on it, but your focus could yeah. be off. It's one of the you hardest. You could be on it, but your exposure is off. It's one of the hardest things to do is you go and you bust your butt on a hunt for days, weeks, whatever it is, and your hunter finally gets an opportunity to kill something, and you don't have it on camera. And in the terms of a show like Kip's or a show like Chuck's or a show like probably, you know, what what we're going to do with Huntmasters is if we don't have a kill, we don't have a show. You know, we really, that kill is incredibly important. So it honestly comes down to the producer. Dudley's the only one that this doesn't work with. Dudley doesn't care if I get the kill or not. He wants me to, but if I don't get it, he's like, ah, whatever. Um, it's super important for us to get it. And it's really, it's a really tough call. Trust me, because I've had to do it several times where you've worked for a week or two weeks or whatever it is to get a deer or an elk or a antelope or whatever it is in range. And now that you do, you have to tell your hunter can't get it because I don't have, I, I can't get it on camera. It's behind a bush, behind a tree. It's too dark, whatever the case may be. But that, that communication is so important to be able to say yay, nay, or whatever, and to say, yes, I'm ready. No, I'm not ready. All right, this is, and that's the first thing I do if I ever hunt with someone new or if it's been a while, like if we're in a blind, I'll tell them, like, look, my camera can see, you see this limb right here? I, anything on the left side of that limb, I'm good. Mm-hmm. All the way to you see where the food plot ends right here. Just before that food plot ends, I'm good to there. That, I way, was... that way they know what my field of view is because their field of view, even though they're sitting two feet to my left, it's different. is different. You know, they're going to be able to see to the right further than me, but not as far to the left. And I'm vice versa. So I always make sure I communicate that when I first sit down. Like, look, this is what I'm looking at. That These are my problem areas. You know, and if we have a problem area, Brian's one of those that always wants to say, okay, well, I want to be able to shoot there. If you can't see there, let's move around. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I always ask, okay, where where ideally is the shot going to happen? Mm-hmm. So that I can make sure that I have the most latitude around that area. Yeah, yeah. And then you go, okay, I cannot see here and I cannot see here. Is that going to be a problem? Mm-hmm. Can you shoot the whole area that I can see? Do we need to move? Do we? What do we need to do to make sure that we got the sweet spot between you being able to shoot comfortably and effectively and where we think the shot's going to happen and where my camera can and see? And tree stands are tough too because, you know, then you have, especially in the timber, you know, if you're in a food plot, it's not that bad. You know, yeah. you get a wide open spot. But in the timber, it's really tough. And like turkeys on the ground in the timber is really tough because – you being off of their shoulder by one foot between trees. I mean, they've got a clear shot you don't or vice versa. I remember I went on that trip with uh, 2018 with Brian. We went on that elk hunt in Idaho, and I'm standing there filming this elk. I mean, full, I mean, you broadside, all his vitals. I mean, it was like a four-by-eight sheet of plywood there. And, he, you know, I'm waiting for him to say, are you ready? I'm going to take the shot. And then he never does, and the elk leaves. And I was like, what happened? And he's like, I, I couldn't get a shot. I couldn't get a clear shot. And he's, you know, he's probably me to you, you know. And, uh, but he's directly to my right. And you stand where he was. You couldn't, all you could see was his head and his butt. You couldn't see his vitals at all. Mm-hmm. And he sees my footage and he's like, holy crap, you could see his, I was like, oh, I could have killed that elk a thousand times. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man. Cameras just, have saved a lot of animals. Oh, yeah, they've saved a lot of animals. But I've had them kill a lot of animals, too. If I wouldn't have been on some trips, you know, with some people to where I can, you know, help them through something or I can see something they can't or, you know, essentially, you know, especially on deer hunts when somebody can look this way and you can look this way or 
it's it's worked both ways for me for sure. When you've got your headphones on and you're running a shotgun mic, you'll be amazed what you can hear in the, in the like in the timber. Yeah, whitetail hunting. And Problem. Stuff. You just have no idea where it's you at. Have yeah. No idea where it's at. I, I heard I, something. I don't know where it is. Don't know where it's at. <laughs> the shotgun's pointed this way. Yeah. I think maybe it's that way. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I told Brian that. Like I'm like I hear something. He's like where? I'm like no, no idea. idea. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. I'm like but there's something somewhere <laughs> <laughs> right here. So, because he can't, Brian, Brian can't hear that well. Um, Chuck can't hear that well. I mean, it's, it's really like lead the blind most of the time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, uh, but no, communication is incredibly important, especially when you get in a situation with turkeys and there's multiple does, there's multiple, you know, things like that to where one little communication breakdown and all that works for nothing, you know, and it's, it's, it's super important. And, you've got to have the confidence and you've got to have that conversation with that hunter or with the, your buddy or whoever you're filming with. Like, look, if footage is of the utmost importance, then I have to make the call when we shoot. Mm-hmm. And if I call, tell you no, that means no. You know, or if I say no and you shoot them, just know there's no video because I told you no. Um, and that's a tough call to make. And I've had to make it, luckily, not that many times, but it has absolutely happened before. Um, and it sucks. And... uh but that's that's what we signed up for. And that's another thing where, you know, when you film um, with guys like Chuck, with guys like Brian, with guys like uh, Kip, is they've been doing it for such a long time that they, it's very automatic for them. They know that you've got your headphones on, or they expect that you do. Yeah. Which you should. Yeah. Um, they know that they need to ask or that you will tell them. Mm-hmm. And there's always a really open line of communication. And that's just, they've been doing it. They know how that works. Mm-hmm. With guys who haven't been doing it a long time, you just need to make sure that they know, hey, I've got my headphones in. You can literally whisper to me and not turn your head and I will hear you. Mm-hmm. And we can talk that way. And then explain to them, I will let you know when to shoot. Uh, you know, just follow my lead on this. Mm-hmm. And... Um, just make sure that you're always communicating with them. Because once yeah. they feel comfortable and they know and they kind of get used to that that dynamic, then it, it becomes more natural. Yeah. And in the moment, they'll know what's going on. But that goes all the way back to pre-production. The second commandment is ha- already having these things talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, already having a plan for if you can't see something, what's your, your go, no go? Like I say, kill them and, and no. Those are the two things that my people hear. Kill him, no. Because go sounds like no. And no and so that's like go. if you hear no and you thought it sounded like go, it's not. Because I don't say go. I say no. I say no and kill them. That's the only two things you'll hear me say. Or I'll say ready whenever you are. You know, if they're in a wide open field, don't wait on me. I'm ready. You know, you don't have to wait on me. Let me get my footage. And once yeah, I've got my yeah. footage, I'll so let you know. It's one of those things to where um, that, that that communication needs to happen. And luckily... I've been with the people I've filmed so long. They they under, they know those things. Um, but, like, you know, when Clay starts working with some people or you go on a trip with somebody you haven't been on, you know, those are things that we need to do before. Say, hey, look, this is my go, no go. I'm going to communicate with you best I can. If you have questions, please ask me. You know, and, and always be super facilitating to whatever those needs are and get it done. So the last – Yeah, the last – the last thing I have is 
I think this is a, a really tough thing for it was, it's been a tough thing for me in the past. Um, but the tenth commandment is be a producer first and a hunter second. And what does that mean? Well, you're on a hunt, and you obviously have to be hunting. But our job is we were hired to be producers, and we were hired to be um, guys in the field that are capturing content with a camera. So if we're only worried about hunting, we can't take a camera with us. We have a camera in our hand, and our dedication and our job is to create content. And if you're trying to create content and you're trying to film hunts, you've got to make a decision whether or not the content's more important or getting something killed is more important. And if the decision is the content is more important, then you have to be a producer first and a hunter second. You have got to make sure that you are getting things and doing the things that you have to do and get in order to tell the best story that you can tell. And that is, like I said a minute ago, kind of like telling somebody no, that's a really, really hard pill to swallow, but you have to make that commitment. Um, We have to be producers first and hunters second in terms of we're worried about the footage and everything as of the utmost importance, but in the back of our mind, we're also hunters. We have to be stealthy with our movements. We have to be slow. We have to be quiet. We have to worry about scent and wind and all those same things that a hunter has to worry about, but our focus isn't on killing an animal. Our focus is on telling a good story while being in the act of hunting or in the, you know, you know, in that place while we're running a camera. Because if we're just hunting and we're carrying a camera with us, you're never going to come back with all the things that you need to tell the best version of that story. So just remember, producer first, hunter second. That's the 10th commandment. You got anything you want to add to that? Take away from it? I think definitely the hardest thing when I first started was as a deer's coming in, watching it through my little three-inch screen versus wanting to watch it with my own eyes. That was definitely my hardest yeah. when I first started. Yeah. Um, I've had that. I don't know. I get pretty tunnel-visioned when I'm running the camera. I stay in my – I almost kind of get mad at myself sometimes. Like I've had whole kill sequences, some of the best kills and things I've ever had happen. And I never look out of my screen. You know, I find the animal on the screen. I never come out of my screen. The animal gets shot and runs off. I go straight to my hunter, get a reaction. And after it's over, I'm like, I just watched the whole thing through a three-inch screen mm-hmm. when I was like, hell, that happened right here. Yeah. You know, like that elk that Andy killed. Like, I saw you that elk. Saw I saw that in elk, like, coming through the trees way up there. So I literally get my camera in that area. And then find him in my viewfinder when he's still in the timber. And then when he comes out, like I'm in my camera the whole time. That camera, you know, that elk gets, you know, from me to that door and screams in our face. And then he runs out and gets shot and then runs off. I never, I never peeked around that camera. As much as I probably want to, but in that moment, it never even crossed my mind. It's like focus, 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 focus. He runs, pull focus. I'm ready, shoot him, shoots, he runs off, I come right back to Andy. And then after that sequence is over, then I thought about it, I was like, there's an elk right there. Right freaking there that I could have like, you know, and and, and I'm there and I was a part of it and everything, but I never got out of my camera because, like I said, producer first, hunter second. Well, I Um, I think that something that a lot of people don't understand is when you're on a trip and you're filming, it's not like we have a lot of fun mm-hmm. and we enjoy being there and it's a blast. But 
it's not the same as if you had gone on the trip without the camera. Oh, 100%. Because, like you just said, there's two things in what you just said that really make that apparent. One, you're just a little bit removed from that entire situation because you have this barrier in front of you, and it's that three-inch monitor, and that's what you're looking at reality through. Mm -hmm. Your whole reality is filtered through that camera lens. Yeah. And that removes you a little bit from the moment. That removes you from quote-unquote, the purity of that moment. Like if you were had just been experiencing it with your own eyes and ears, you know? So it's a whole different, I don't want to say reality, but it's a whole different experience. And at the same time, that experience is not just watching and listening to that elk. When, when you've got an animal coming in, there are 5 million things going through your head, at least my head. Maybe you guys are different, but... In my head, it's, okay, How? what does a shot look like? I need to get this shot. I need to get this shot. I need a wide. I want a close. I need. I want, you know, animal and hunter. How can I get this? I need to move the camera. I need to focus. Light needs to change. All of these things. How is this going to work for the story? Okay, now I need to make sure that I'm on it. Okay, he's about to get shot. He gets shot. Now I need to go over to my hunter. I need to make sure that I got their reaction. I need to produce that reaction. So you're not just there watching and listening. You're there and you're looking through a camera and you've got all of these things running through your mind. And so it's a whole different experience, you know, and it's a different experience. And it's almost a, an experience that's a little removed from just the experience you would have if you were there watching it. But that's what, that's yeah. the job that's yeah. you get, you, it's a you're job. getting paid yeah. to go and do that. So mm -hmm. what you're giving up is just being able to take in the experience. But what you're gaining is you get to go there. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully the satisfaction of getting cool footage, you know. You have 5 million things going through your head and you get all these different shots. And hopefully when you bring it back into the edit room, you're able to basically create something to where the viewer can be in that experience with you. But I and think that's so what, that's what, separates, that's what that. separates a producer from a cameraman, though, is what you just said. The separation is understanding in that moment that you're there to do a job. You're not mm -hmm. there to hunt. A cameraman is, is essentially a dummy that stands there and points a camera at something that's happening with no thought into how or why he's shooting what and how he's shooting it. Whereas a producer, just like you just said, he's worried about, okay, how do I get my hunter in frame? How do I get, how do I make this scene more dramatic? How do I, you know, how do I get the B-roll to support this? How do I get the best reaction? Is my audio good? You know, all the things that are going through your head, that's what separates a cameraman from a producer is that separation in your mind as I'm here to do a job not to watch an elk get shot or be, you know, be in this experience. I'll get to enjoy this after this, after my job is over. Um, and that's what, that's the separation that, I try and explain, and I guess that might be the best way of explaining is that's the difference in a cameraman and a producer. Is really comes down to mindset mm -hmm. and comes down to uh, the goal of the project, and that is get the best, most epic possible stuff we can, and that comes with you being in the right frame of mind during the entire process. So, uh, And you sacrifice a little bit to do that. Oh, oh yeah, you, 100%. You sacrifice a little bit of your experience on that hunt to do that. I mean, you're you're not always going to have be able to hang out and 
shoot the crap with the guys. You Very need rarely, to, yeah. You need to film it, or you need to be getting scenics, or you're setting up a time lapse, or you're looking through the footage, or you're messing with the camera because something weird happened with the camera. So now mm-hmm. while everybody is taking a nap, you have to be figuring out what the heck is wrong with the camera and getting it fixed before you go out for the evening hunt. When you're in that moment, you're you're watching it through the camera. But hopefully, and you know, I think that both of you guys kind of have the same mindset as me, when you get that footage back. Other than fashion. Well, I <laughs> don't expect you guys to have <laughs> the amount of fashion and swag that is literally oh, dripping God. from me right now. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything. You shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. Uh, I get a lot of satisfaction from getting the footage back, making something, showing it to somebody, and then being like, wow, I really felt like I was there. Yeah. And that's where I, I get all the satisfaction. My favorite, I love making a video and giving it to the person and them saying, oh, I never know that happened. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. They get tunnel vision and what mm-hmm. they're doing and you've yep. got, it, it's and that's easy to get, do too is to get tunnel vision and go into the hunter mode of, of kill mode and making sure that we get an animal down. And that is important. But if you tunnel vision into where your frame never changes, and you don't get to be creative. Um, <laughs> Jared, do you see what Jared said? Yeah, I'm, I'm commenting right now. Yeah, that's the height of swagger. He's you gr- haven't even seen he's my a, best bike outfits. He's aggressive. I, ha- I have a bike outfit with a <laughs> rainbow-colored llama on it. Oh, and God. He's aggressively typing, Jared, so I can't wait to see this reply. I just type aggressively club. all the time. <laughs> you the, do type The Red Velvet Biker Club. Cycling. It's cycling. <laughs> it is Cycling. <laughs> Ah, dang, you guys. Uh, How many times do I have to say it? Bikers are us. <laughs> bikers are us. Man. But anyway, so, but yeah, the, the, getting in the tunnel vision, that can get you in a lot of trouble. Not breaking, you know, not communicating, not getting the dialogue, you know, kind of going through the Ten Commandments. You know, these these ten things, if you can adhere to these, you're going you're gonna to do pretty good. Um, and, and try and learn your gear plan, get the B-roll, get the dialogue, get the transitions, get the establishing shots, get the scenics, make sure you get your recreates, communicate, and then be a producer before you're a hunter. Do pretty good. Anybody got anything else? That's all I got. No more? No. No fashion tips? Where where'd you get the shirt? How much does it cost? Like, where can you get your own? Is there a red velvet edition First coming First of out? all, I ain't telling nobody where I got this shirt because then y'all are going to be buying it. <laughs> And I'm not trying to have a bunch of you guys running around. I can name two oh people right now God. that will not be buying that, and they're both sitting Who's that? right here. Me. They're both Well, you right told here. me today when we were at lunch that you had a cooler shirt than that. I want everybody to know that he said that. Now, when he produces <laughs> I this. I did say that. It's not the one I'm wearing right now is cooler than that. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, that's very pompous of you. <laughs> your, your black shirt with nothing on it. What's pompous mean? Pompous? Yeah. It's a $2 word. That's a five dollar word. <laughs> yes. That's a five dollar word. Pompous right. means. I think. I think we are. Uh, I think we're going to wrap the podcast up. I think we're going to hang out on the live stream. And uh, why is it buttoned all the way up to the top? <laughs> Who asked that? Because oh. with every button I unbutton, the level of swag increases oh, exponentially. Man. He's got his sweater. I, his I sweater meat hanging out. Then I can't. I I need to keep my chesticles buttoned up here at the office. Yeah. Now, if I were there's to go women to, working in this office. <laughs> <laughs> I need 
<laughs> I, ne- I need to not not be bothered while I'm in my office. <laughs> yeah, that's. But we, if we go out later, you better believe one or two buttons is that. That's that's the difference between work Ryer and 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 nighttime Ryer is oh, how many buttons I button. Good gracious. <laughs> All right, we're going to end on that. If y'all guys got any questions, hang out. We're going to be on the live stream for just a few minutes after this. Peace.